This is the audio lecture for module 14. Let's get right into it. Chapter 8, Section 5, A Time of Crisis. To Europeans in the mid-1300s, the end of the world seemed to have come. First, widespread crop failures brought famine and starvation. Then, plague and war ravaged populations. Europe eventually recovered from these disasters. Still, the upheavals of the 1300s and 1400s marked the end of the Middle Ages and the beginning of the early modern age. The Black Death, a global epidemic. In the autumn of 1347, a fleet of Genoese, spelled G-E-N-O-E-S-E, trading ships loaded with grain, left the Black Sea port of Kaffa, spelled C-A-F-F-A, and set sail for Messina, M-E-S-S-I-N-A, Sicily. By mid-voyage, sailors were falling sick and dying. Soon after the ships tied up at Messina, townspeople, too, began to fall sick and die. Within months, the diseases that Europeans called the Black Death was raging through Italy. By 1348, it had reached Spain and France. From there, it ravaged the rest of Europe. One in three people died, a death rate worse than any war in history. The plague spreads from Asia. The sickness was bubonic plague, a disease spread by fleas carried by rats. Bubonic plague had broken out before in Europe, Asia, and North Africa, but had subsided. One strain, though, had survived in Mongolia. In 1200s, Mongol armies conquered much of Asia, probably setting off the new epidemic or outbreak of rapid-spreading diseases. In the pre-modern world, rats infested ships, towns, and even the homes of the rich and powerful, so no one took away any notice of them. In the early 1300s, rats spread the plague in crowded Chinese cities, which killed about 35 million people there. Fleas jumped from those rats to infest the clothes and packs of traders traveling west. As a result, the disease quickly spread from Asia to the Middle East and then to Europe. Normal life breaks down. In Europe, the plague brought terror and bewilderment, as people had no way to stop the disease. Some people turned to magic and witchcraft for cures. Others plunged into wild pleasures, believing they would soon die anyway. Still, others saw the plague as God's punishment. They beat themselves with whips to show that they repented their sins. Normal life broke down as people fled cities or hid in their homes to avoid contracting the plague from neighbors and relatives. Some Christians blamed Jews for the plague, charging unjustly that they had poisoned the wells to cause the disease. In the resulting hysteria, thousands of Jews were slaughtered. The economy suffers. As the plague kept recurring in the late 1300s, the European economy plunged to a low ebb. When workers and employers died, production declined. Survivors demanded higher wages. As the cost of labor soared, inflation, or rising prices, broke out too. Landowners and merchants pushed for laws to limit wages. To limit rising costs, landowners converted croplands to land for sheep raising, which required less labor. Villagers forced off the land looked for work in towns. Their guilds limited opportunity for advancement. Coupled with the fear of the plague, these restrictions sparked explosive revolts. Angry peasants rampaged in England, France, Germany, and elsewhere. In the cities, artisans fought for more power, usually without success. Revolts erupted on and off through the 1300s and 1400s. The plague had spread death and social unrest. It would take Western Europe more than 100 years to fully recover from its effects. Upheaval in the Church the late Middle Ages brought spiritual crisis, scandal, and division to the Roman Catholic Church. Many priests and monks died during the plague. Their replacements faced challenging questions. Survivors asked, why did God spare some and kill others? The church splits. 
The church was unable to provide the strong leadership needed in this desperate time. In 1309 AD, Pope Clement V had moved the papal court to Avignon, spelled A-V-I-G-N-O-N, outside the border of southern France. It remained there for about 70 years under French domination. In Avignon, popes reigned over a lavish court. Critics slashed out against the worldly, pleasure-loving papacy and anti-clerical sentiment grew. Within the church itself, reformers worked for change. In 1378 AD, reformers elected their own pope to rule from Rome. French cardinals responded by choosing a rival pope. For decades, there was a schism, or split, in the church. During this schism, two and sometimes even three popes claimed to be the true vicar of Christ. A church council at Constance, Germany, finally ended the crisis in 1417 AD by removing authority from all three popes and elected a compromise candidate. Pope Martin V returned the papacy to Rome. Responding to New Heresies As the moral authority of the church weakened, popular preachers began to call for change. In England, John Wycliffe, spelled W-Y-C-L-I-F-F-E, an Oxford professor, attacked corruption in church. Wycliffe insisted that the Bible, not the church, was the source of Christian truth. His followers began translating the Bible into English so that people could read it themselves rather than rely on the clergy to interpret it. Czech students at Oxford carried Wycliffe's ideas to Bohemia, spelled B-O-H-E-M-I-A, today's Czech Republic. There, Jan Hus, spelled J-A-N, next word H-U-S, led the call for reforms, supported by his followers, known as the Hussites, spelled H-U-S-S-I-T-E-S. The church responded by persecuting Wycliffe and his followers and suppressing the Hussites. Huss was tried for preaching heresy, ideas contrary to the church teachings. Found guilty, he was burned at the stake in 1415 AD. The ideas of Wycliffe and Huss survived, however. A century later, other reformers took up the same demands, such as Martin Luther, during his Protestant Reformation. Chapter 13, Section 1, The Renaissance in Italy A new age had dawned in Western Europe, given expression by remarkable artists and thinkers. Europeans called this age the Renaissance, meaning rebirth. It began in the 1300s and reached its peak around 1500 AD. The Renaissance marked the transition from medieval times to the early modern world. What was the Renaissance? The Renaissance was a time of creativity and great change in many areas, political, social, economic, and cultural. It marked a slow shift from an agricultural to an urban society in which trade assumed greater importance than in the past. It was also a time when creative thinking and new technology let people comprehend and describe their world more accurately. A new worldview evolves. During the Renaissance, creative minds set out to transform their own age. Their era, they felt, was a time of rebirth after they saw as the disorder and disunity of the medieval world. Renaissance thinkers had reawakened interest in the classical learning of Greece and Rome, which medieval scholars had preserved. They continued to use Latin as the language of the church as well as for scholarship, yet they produced new attitudes towards culture and learning. Medieval scholars had focused more on religious beliefs and spirituality. In contrast, Renaissance thinkers explored the richness and variety of human experience in the here and now. At the same time, society placed a new emphasis on individual achievement. Indeed, the Renaissance ideal was a person with talent in many fields. A Spirit of Adventure the Renaissance supported a spirit of adventure and a wide-ranging curiosity that led people to explore new worlds or to re-examine old ones. Navigators who sailed across the ocean, scientists who looked at the universe in new ways, and writers and artists who experimented with new forms and techniques all shared that spirit. In part, that spirit of adventure came from a new view of man himself. 
As Italian thinker Pico della Mirandola, spelled P-I-C-O, next word, D-E-L-L-A, next word, M-I-R-A-N-D-O-L-A, asserted in 1486, quote, to man, it is granted to have whatever he chooses, to be whatever he wills, end quote. Expressing humanism. At the heart of the Italian Renaissance was an intellectual movement known as humanism. Humanists studied the classical culture of Greece, Rome, but used that study to increase their understanding of their own times. Though most humanists were pious Christians, they focused on worldly subjects rather than on religious issues that had occupied medieval thinkers. Humanists believed that education should stimulate the individual's creative powers. They emphasized the humanities, subjects as grammar, rhetoric, the study of using language effectively, poetry, and history that had been taught in ancient Greeks and in Roman schools. Francesco Petrarch, spelled F-R-A-N-C-E-S-C-O, next word, P-E-T-R-A-R-C-H, a Florentine who lived in the 1300s, was an early Renaissance humanist, poet, and scholar. He assembled a library of Greek and Roman manuscripts in monasteries and churches. In later years, his efforts and those of others, encouraged by his example, enabled the works of Cicero, Homer, and Virgil to again become known to Western Europeans. Italy, cradle of the Renaissance. The Renaissance began in Italy. Over the next hundred years, it spread to the rest of Europe, eventually transforming the entire Western world. Italy was the place where the Renaissance emerged for several reasons. Italy's history and geography. Renaissance thinkers had a new interest in ancient Rome. Italy had been the center of the Roman Empire, and people could study its art and architecture. The Roman Catholic Church, based in Rome, supported many artists and scholars. Italy's location on the Mediterranean Sea also encouraged trade with the Muslim world just across the sea. Ships carrying a variety of goods docked at Italy's many ports. Banking, manufacturing, and merchant networks developed to support trade. Italian merchants led the growth of trade across Europe during the late Middle Ages. Trade provided the wealth that fueled Italy's Renaissance. Trade routes also carried new ideas that were important in shaping the Renaissance. Muslim scholars had preserved and developed the scientific and technical knowledge of ancient Greece and Rome, which had been forgotten in medieval Europe. Contact through trade gave Italy access to the Muslims' world wealth of knowledge. Italy's vibrant city-states Unlike the kingdoms of most of the rest of Europe, Italy was divided into small city-states. Each Ita Italian city-state was controlled by a powerful family and dominated by a wealthy and powerful merchant class. These merchant families exerted both political and economic leadership, and their interest in art and emphasize, emphasis on personal achievement helped to shape the Italian Renaissance. The Medici, spelled M-E-D-I-C-I, family of Florence, for example, ranked among the richest merchants and bankers in Europe. Cosmo de Medici, spelled C-O-S-I-M-O, next word, D-E apostrophe M-E-D-I-C-I, gained control of the Florentine government in 1434 A.D., and the family continued to uncrown rulers of the city for many years. Cosmo's uncrowned rulers of the city, grandson Lorenzo, known as the Magnificent, represented the Renaissance ideal. A clever politician, he held Florence together during the difficult times in the late 1400s. He was also a generous patron, or financial supporter of the arts. At Lorenzo's invitation, poets and philosophers frequently visited the Medici Palace. Artists learned their craft by sketching ancient Roman statues displayed in the Medici Gardens. The Medici's great wealth and influence influenced and transformed Florence. Perhaps more than any other city, it came to symbolize the energy and brilliance of the Italian Renaissance. Like the ancient city of Athens, it produced a dazzling number of gifts, 
poets, artists, architectures, scholars, and scientists in a relatively short span of time. Renaissance art flowers. The Renaissance attained its most glorious expression in its paintings, sculpture, and architecture. Wealthy patrons, popes, and princes played a major role in this artistic flowering. Ordinary people who were beginning to appreciate human experiences not related to the church also played a role. Reflecting humanist thought. Renaissance art reflected the ideals of humanism. Like artists of the Middle Ages, Renaissance artists portrayed religious themes. However, they often set religious figures such as Jesus and Mary against classical Greek or Roman backgrounds. Painters also produced portraits of well-known figures of the day reflecting the humanist interest in individual achievement. Renaissance artists studied ancient Greek and Roman works and revived many classical forms. The sculptor Donatello, spelled D-O-N-A-T-E-L-L-O, for example, created a life-size statue of a soldier on horseback. It was the first such figure done since ancient times, using new artistic techniques. Roman art had been very realistic, but in medieval times, art became more stylized. Renaissance papers turned to the real realism of classical times by developing new techniques for representing both humans and landscapes. In particular, the rules of perspective allowed Renaissance artists to create realistic art. By making distant objects smaller, those close to the viewer, artists could paint scenes that appeared three-dimensional. Other techniques enabled Renaissance artists to give their work energy and realism. Renaissance papers, the painters used shading to make objects look round and real, and new oil paints to reflect light. Painters and sculptors also studied human anatomy and drew from observing live models. As a result, they were able to portray the human body much more accurately than medieval artists had done. Architecture is social art. Architecture was transformed in Renaissance Italy. Architect Leon Alberti, spelled L-E-O-N-A-L-B-E-R-T-I, described architecture as a social art meant to blend beauty with utility and improvement of society. Architects rejected the Gothic style of the late Middle Ages as disorderly. Instead, they adopted the columns, arches, and domes that had been favored by the Greeks and Romans. For the cathedral in Florence, Filippo, uh, Filippo Brunelleschi, Brunelleschi, spelled B-R-U-N-E-L-L-E-S-C-H-I, created a majestic dome, which he modeled on the dome of the Pantheon in Rome. Like other Renaissance artists, Brunelleschi was multi-talented. He studied art and sculpture with Donatello and was an accomplished engineer, inventing many of the machines used to construct his dome. Leonardo da Vinci. Artist Leonardo da Vinci had an endless curiosity that fed a genius for invention. He made sketches of nature and of models in his studio and dissected corpses to learn how bones and muscles work. As a result, Leonardo's paintings grip people with their realism. The Mona Lisa, spelled M-O-N-A, next word, L-I-S-A, is a portrait of a woman whose mysterious smile has baffled viewers for centuries. The Last Supper, showing Jesus and his apostles on the night before the crucifixion, is both a moving religious painting and a masterpiece of her perspective. Because Leonardo experimented with a new type of paint, much of the Last Supper decayed over the years. However, it has recently been restored. Leonardo thought of himself as an artist, yet his talents and accomplishments ranged over many areas, including botany, anatomy, optics, music, architecture, and engineering. He made sketches for flying machines and undersea boats centuries before the first airplane or submarine was actually built. Though most of his paintings were lost today, his most note notebooks survive as a testament to his genius and creativity.
Michelangelo. Michelangelo Buonardi, spelled B-U-O-N-A-R-R-O-T-I, like Leonardo, had many talents. He was a sculptor, engineer, painter, architect, and poet. Michelangelo had been called a melancholy genius because his work reflects his many lifelong spiritual and artistic struggles. In his 20s, he created marble masterpieces such as David and Pieta, spelled P-I-E-T-A. The Pieta captures the sorrow of the biblical Mary as she cradles her dead son, Jesus, on her knees. Michelangelo's heroic statue of David, the biblical shepherd who killed the giant Goliath, recalls the harmony and grace of ancient Greek tradition. One of Michelangelo's greatest projects was a painting a series of huge murals to direct, decorate the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel in Rome, spelled S-I-S-T-I-N-E. The enormous task, which took four years to complete and left the artist partially crippled, depicted the biblical history of the world from the creation to the flood. Michelangelo was also a talented architect. His most famous design was for the dome of St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome. It served as a model for many later structures, including the United States Capitol building in Washington, D.C. Raphael A few years younger than Michelangelo, Raphael was widely admired both for his artistic talent and his sweet and gracious nature. Raphael studied the works of great masters but developed his own style of painting that blended Christian and classical styles. He is probably best known for his tender portrayals of the Madonna, the mother of Jesus, in the School of Athens. Raphael pictured an imaginary gathering of great thinkers and scientists, including Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, and the Arab philosopher Averroes. With typical Renaissance self-confidence, Raphael included the faces of Michelangelo, Leonardo, and himself. Writing for a New Society Italian writers reflected the trademark Renaissance curiosity and interests in the humanities. Humanists and historians wrote works of philosophy and scholarship. Other writers developed a literature of guidebooks to help ambitious men and women who wanted to achieve success in the Renaissance world. Castiglione's Ideal Courtier. The most widely read of these handbooks was The Book of the Courtier, spelled C-O-U-R-T-I-E-R. Its author, Baldassare Castiglione, describes the manners, skills, learning, and virtues that a member of the court should have. Castiglione's ideal courtier was a well-educated, well-mannered aristocrat who mastered many fields, from poetry to music to sports. Castiglione's ideal differed from men and women. The ideal man, he wrote, is athletic but not overactive. He is good at games but not a gambler. He plays a musical instrument and knows literature and history but is not arrogant. The ideal woman offers a balance to men. She is graceful and kind, lively but reserved. She is beautiful for outer beauty, wrote Castiglione, is a true sign of inner goodness. Machiavelli's Successful Prince Niccolo Machiavelli, spelled N-I-C-C-O-L-O, next word, M-A-C-H-I-A-V-E-L-L-I, wrote a guide for rulers on how to gain and maintain power. Unlike ancient writers such as Plato, Machiavelli did not discuss leadership in terms of high ideals. Instead, his book, The Prince, looked at real rulers in the age of ruthless power politics. Machiavelli stressed that the end justifies the means. He urged rulers to use whatever methods were necessary to achieve their goals. Machiavelli saw himself as an enemy of oppression and corruption, but critics attacked his cynical advice. In fact, the term Machiavellian came to refer to the use of deceit in politics. Later, students of government, however, argued that Machiavelli provided a realistic look at politics. 
His work continues to spark debate because it raises important ethical questions about the nature of government and the use of power.